Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of IBD Heal, a podcast brought to you by High Carb Health. My name is Shakul, and I'm joined here by the incredible Dr. Scott Stoll. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Shakul. It's really an honor to be here. So glad to be back. It's been a couple of years. I think this was, um, what year were we in Australia? Was it 2018 or 17? 19, I think. No, 18. 18. 18, the start of 18, I think. Yeah, the start of 18 when the Doctors and Nutrition Conference was on. And um, yeah, that's when we first met. And we've met another time in, at, at the conference that you support. Uh, um, we, it was in Oakland, I believe. And um, so Dr. Scott Stoll is one of the real good guys of medicine. He's been championing lots of different changes in the way doctors look at health and the way they practice and looking at lifestyle medicine as a real foundation of looking after people's health. Uh, and um, he's also the co-founder of the Plantrition Project, the International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference that we've been lucky enough to attend, the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, and the Regenerative Health Institute, which is a unique collaborative project with the Rodale Institute that integrates health with agricultural and environmental regeneration. So it's a real pleasure to have uh, Dr. Stoll, who's been on the front lines for many, many years, championing change and and making a huge difference to the world so yeah thank thankful again to have you on on the show yeah thank you so much Shakul. so honored to be here with you and your audience so what we want to talk about today is really discussing some of the work that dr stoll has been doing and uh, the first topic that i've chosen to discuss with you dr stoll is around the education piece around changing the way we look at health and the way doctors look at health and and really how have you found that like can you talk a little bit about the history of how it's been moving along over the years yeah you know it's very interesting we look at the history of medical education to see that um you know going all the way back there was a shift kind of uh philosophically that started in the industrial revolution and then this modern period of medicine where we started breaking things down into like parts that we could understand, which is great compartmentalization and reductionism, where we mm. began to understand the receptors of disease and then develop drugs to impact those receptors. And that became kind of the modern paradigm of medicine still today in the 21st century. The mistake that we made in doing that is that we stayed in the microscopic level or the mm. biochemical level and we forgot to step back and say well how do all these pieces fit together mm. how does this system actually work we start we forgot to go back and look at the biologic system the physiologic system of a human body and the incredible interactions and interrelationships of all of these systems and then realize that we can't do just one thing in medicine. We can't just tinker with one receptor because there are receptors all throughout the body. Mm. So that led to a preponderance of education around pharmacology and the pathophysiology of disease. And it hindered our understanding of disease in the way that you know we, we really never asked where are these diseases coming from. Mm. We just identified them, we developed differential diagnoses, and then we tried to figure out ways to manage them or treat them, but not mm. solve the problem. Mm. And so today, you know, medical education uh, is 
funded largely by you know money from industry pharmacology mm -hmm. and others um, and so the education really is is focused in that direction and most medical school students receive very little nutritional education or lifestyle education in fact they come out with no knowledge of nutrition and its impact on the human body and the opportunity to prevent suspend and reverse disease i saw an mm. interesting study um, just recently they were following medical school students entering and matriculating into medical school and they asked them just before their first year how many of you believe that nutrition is important in human health and disease and of mm. course, you know, as they're coming into medical school, about 80% of the students said, yeah, nutrition's important. By year mm. two, the number was zero. So they came into medical school with a concept that it was important. By the end of their second year, we had actually trained it out of them. So even wow. though they received, you know, on average medical school students, about 19 hours of medical education during their four years of um, medical school, mm. um, they really are undergoing like an unlearning process around right. the power of nutrition and lifestyle mm. to prevent suspend and reverse disease yeah so that's 19 hours of nutrition education over four years of medical is that right that's about right and it's yeah. you know, the, the education that we receive in medical school is really uh icu nutrition you know hospital-based nutrition mm. it's not the nutrition that you and i actually understand where mm. nutrition nourishing the body, optimizing biologic, physiologic systems and preventing suspending reversing disease. We don't get any of that in medical school. Right. And so in terms of the work you've been doing, how has that been changing the thought process? Because, I mean, that's incredible. Like if you go from 80% of people having a concept that, yeah, okay, nutrition may play a role in my health to two years later, zero percent of those people still have that that view um that to me is fascinating uh so what what um do we need to do to kind of shift that yeah you know it's um those are the data points that that really wake you up we know that mm. we have an issue we know that doctors are coming out um and they just don't understand you know sometimes people get frustrated with um you know our colleagues in this area and I just say that, you know, it goes back to like this uh, quote from Maya Angelou. I did then what I knew how to do, but now that I know better, I do better. Most doctors are just doing what they were taught to do and they don't know any better. Mm. Uh, and so, but the really good news, even though this sounds like really <laughs> dire news and hopelessness, um, there is a, a, a real awakening in healthcare. Mm. Um, there are several medical schools where they are beginning to use a curriculum that includes lifestyle medicine um, medical school students now this next generation are aware and awake and interested in searching out the information um, mm. and it's you know they're finding that information you know thanks to social media even though it has its dark side there's a real light side mm. uh, and thanks to the internet this information is available and is becoming more available for our colleagues. And I, I really see, um, you know, a lot of leadership in the medical school students and residents that are stepping forward. Uh, for example, some positive data points uh, through the ACLM, uh, and we're working with them on a project called Plantrition U, which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, 
There are more than 140 residency programs that are now utilizing lifestyle medicine curriculum and more than 80 medical school student interest groups that are utilizing uh, this kind of information. That's just here in the United States. That's, you know, this is also happening internationally, a little bit slower, uh, but it's also beginning to, to happen internationally. Um, hospitals are also beginning to look at other options. Uh, you know, the hospitals have long been using uh, volume-based care and disease-based ma uh, management models. Um, some are actually mm -hmm. beginning to switch. I've worked with some of them, and I have another healthcare system that I'm starting to work with uh, in October. And so, you know, there in the last five years, we can really see the the kind of revolution that's on the horizon, where medical school students, residents, and doctors are awakening to this idea that food really can be more than medicine it can optimize revitalize and give people their lives back and so um you know it's it's exciting to be at this place because when we started you know a number mm. of years ago 2013 uh it was much uh, much more difficult but we're, we're seeing the first sprouts of life coming up from the soil mm. and it seems like you know it's heading back towards the first principles of do no harm you know, as Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine. And it seems like over the last many decades, we've kind of started, we've been moving away from that. Now, slowly we're realizing, oops, made a wrong turn. And let's start to shift back, <laughs> back to those first first principles, right? Um, so let's talk about the Plantation Project, because this is so exciting for me. And, and having uh, obviously spoken to you about it and been present at one of the events, um, which was ex exceptional. Um, what is the Plantrition Project and, and what is it trying to achieve? So the Plantrition Project um, is a not-for-profit organization that was started by myself, my partner, Tom Dunham and Susan Benegas mm. uh, back in 2013, after our first conference, uh, which we started to, uh, it was our International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference to educate healthcare professionals. And it really arose out of you know, part of my journey going back into like 2003, um, realizing how difficult it was for me to learn, how many hours I had to spend like calling mm. through information, trying to pull out truth, mm. and then learning how to apply that in my practice in the day to day that, you know, my patients would actually take it, own it, and begin making those changes uh, and coming alongside of them, you know, in a lifestyle change, which I was totally unprepared for in my medical education. So we started this organization to equip, empower, inspire, and educate healthcare professionals around the world with the indisputable facts, evidence, science of whole food plant-based nutrition to prevent, suspend, and reverse, you know, lifestyle-related diseases. So um, we have grown since 2013. We started with one conference, 180 people from 12 countries, non-COVID years, our conference <laughs> is usually about 12, 1,200 to 1,500 healthcare professionals from 40 countries. Uh, we have, you know, a companion conference on the East Coast in New York. Uh, we worked with um, the leadership uh, Doctors for Nutrition to start the conference and not-for-profit there in Australia. Uh, we have a conference that I partner with Prince Khalid in um, uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Bangkok, Thailand, we've done virtual conferences and we'll be launching one uh, uh, in-person conference uh, 2023. And, uh, and we started the, the 
International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, which now has 20,000 subscribers, to really be a repository of you know, evidence around plant-based nutrition to reverse disease mm. and to encourage people to publish and get access. So it's a free journal with no publishing fees. We wanted to remove all barriers to access that information. That's amazing. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about the Plant Nutrition Project is you have a whole library of plant-based health professionals on your website. So if you're wanting to find someone and you don't know where to look, go to the Plant Nutrition Project website and the details will be in the link below and find a doctor who can help support you in your journey to changing your diet, finding um, finding ways to improve your health. Um, you know, hopefully as as your health improves, getting off some of those medications that that you're taking. Um, you're telling me about a project that you were just uh, working on talking about medications in, in the Middle East where you were doing a TV show and you had all these participants come, come on, um, you know, talk about some of the changes that people, and you think you mentioned in about eight days, like people were seeing significant changes. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's amazing. Uh, we've been doing health immersions for more than 10 years where we Mm. bring people in. And over the course of a week, we teach them about food, we feed them a whole food plant-based diet, a little bit of exercise, how to manage stress. And every single week that we do this, I am amazed how quickly the body rebounds to health. Mm. And so in in March, we had a unique opportunity to um, film a television show, which will be six episodes, built around this immersion concept where we brought in 12 people from all over the world with a host of diseases uh, including, you know, menopausal symptoms, uh, hypertension, blood pressure is 190 over 100, mm. uh, type 2 diabetes that's poorly controlled, irritable bowel, chronic mm. fatigue syndrome, I mean, an amazing list of diseases, impotence, mm. uh, erectile dysfunction. And um, we brought them in and hypernursed their body. And when they first arrived and we went to, we did our work at the Cleveland Clinic for evaluations, uh, they came in and we started getting their numbers back and we're all looking mm. at the numbers thinking, oh my goodness, they are more unhealthy than they, they actually told us. Can we, mm. is this really going to work now that we're having, you know, these people on television? Mm. And so, uh, it, you know, it never ceases to amaze me that when you do the right thing and you give mm. your body the right opportunity to heal, as you know so well, that it does. And so in just eight days, every single person, all 12 of them had recovered to the extent that we were forced to deprescribe or, or take their medications away. Mm. Um, it was, but, you know, we had another physician that was managing them and because their blood pressures were dropping, we had to discontinue medications. Their blood sugars were dropping. We had to discontinue medications. Mm. And so by the end of the show, you know, people with bone on bone knee pain, had no more pain were walking. People with, um, we had a, a woman with an autoimmune disease, polymyalgia rheumatica that had severe pain by the end of, you know, the two and a half weeks, she had no pain. So mm. I mean, everything got better. Um, and all we did was provide the environment for mm-hmm. that improvement, you know? And so that will be out this fall. We're really excited about it. Um, mm. uh, so we'll have a big announcement once we, we know which platform it will land on, but it will be yeah. a, hopefully a great source of encouragement and inspiration for people. Mm, and we'll be sure to share that for sure. And I think one thing you mentioned there was really interesting that, you know, when you, uh, and we say this too, people always ask us, oh, you know, can I really get better? You know, is there a, ch- is there a possibility for me to get better? And I say, 
when you make positive changes to your diet and lifestyle, positive things will happen. You know, now, <laughs> you know, and it's never too late to start. It's just, it's just simple kind of bio, biology and, and physiology of the body. When you start treating it correctly, it starts to work in the way that it was designed to work for. Yeah, we had a little um, introduction to, to one of your pets, I think. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's really fascinating. And yeah, and even though you know these things happen, and you've seen it so many times. Every time you see someone kind of recover it just seems again like a it's just a wonderful experience yeah it's really a great privilege and i you know as a healthcare provider this is why all of us went into medicine you know most mm. of us in our medical school interviews said you know i we i love people and i really want to help people and so Absolutely. you know this is the great joy of helping people that they come in with a smile on their face and they give you a hug and say, thank you. I've never felt this good in my life. And you mm. know this too, after, you know, seeing people's lives completely turn around and you've given them freedom, mm. you know, it is the, it's the greatest job on planet earth to be able to help people. Absolutely. Yep. And it's all about, it's all about the people and, and, and helping them turn their lives around. And that's that, honestly you're right it just gives you the most incredible joy when they when they turn the corner or they start to see the change and they start to believe in themselves it's it's just a wonderful thing to see happen uh okay so um just talking about that in terms of uh you're talking about you know you were forced to de-prescribe some of these medications like you didn't have a choice the numbers were getting so much better from your experience around doctors why are doctors so hesitant at times to do that because I've had so many people that, you know, even though the numbers have got better, the doctor still tells them, you know, you know, you, you should stay on this for the rest of your life or something along those lines. Yeah, you know, so much of it goes back to their education that they have never seen the other side. And mm. so they're skeptical. They've mm -hmm. never read the evidence. They've never seen someone actually get better. Mm. Uh, they've actually seen the the other side of it where people go on diets. And then they get better for a few weeks, they come back in six months later and blood pressure is back up. And so they're mm. hesitant because they've never actually seen somebody get well. They don't mm. know that it's possible. Mm -hmm. They've only seen the failures. Mm -hmm. they've, only, they've only seen failures on the other side. Um, and so they're mm. just, they're being cautious. They're trying to do what's right for the patient. They don't want their patients to end up in a bad position. And they, they don't, you know, it's like my Angela, they, they just don't know any better. Hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, I think like the television show, the, um, the testimonials from people, uh, I wrote a book recently, disease reversal hope that has 36 stories of people that reversed, like radically reversed disease. Hmm. Um, and that we started the journal so that we can, they can see the case reports. They can read the journal articles. We, they can attend a conference. They can see that there's evidence supporting this and mm. feel you know more comfortable walking through that process of helping their patients actually get well and de-prescribing their medications yeah that's amazing um in terms of the uh, movement like what are some of the things that you've been seeing from doctors what kind of stories are you getting from people that you've helped uh, you know re kind of examine their views on healthcare? What kind of things do you see like from, from the healthcare professionals after the work that you've been doing with um, the conference and the journal and things like that? 
Yeah, you know, one story just comes to mind. Uh, I was asked to do uh, back in 2014, I did a CME event at Midland Health Hospital in Midland, Texas, and this is oil mm-hmm. country mm-hmm. and cattle country. It is not a not a healthy place like Austin, Texas. Um, and so I, I did an event at the hospital. I spoke at a church. I went back in 2015 and they started to get a little group of physicians that were excited about this. They started a journal club. Um, Mm. They sent a chef to the conference in 2016. Uh, And then, you know, while I was there, I met a physician. She actually came to our first CME event and she came to the event at the church, Dr. Padmaja Patel. Mm -hmm. And she came to our conferences, we worked with her uh, and she went on to start a lifestyle medicine center at Midland Health and is now kind of the leading voice and physician in that uh, community and healthcare organization for lifestyle medicine, doing amazing things um, and helping people reverse disease. And, you know, we've seen so many, so many people that have come to our conference, gone home, written books, uh, you know, come to our conference, started new programs in their communities. And Mm. uh, it's just, it's been fun because I, you know, we always, our our tagline is we're planting the seeds of change. So Mm. we feel like every opportunity that we have to plant seeds in people's lives of inspiration through what's possible that they may, maybe didn't think was possible through evidence and science to give them confidence that they can do this, continuing education to answer their questions, tools to equip them, and, you know, our organization, American College of Lifestyle Medicine, uh, come alongside of them. And, you know, we're seeing now what used to be a small number of physicians in the tens of thousands all over the world really applying this and bringing about mm. change in the patient's lives on a daily basis. Mm. It's such a new movement. I think it's just probably going to be a snowball effect as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time. Um, the other thing, interesting thing that uh, I learned when I came to the conference uh, in 2019, I believe, was, or was it 2018? End of 2018, yeah, um, was the whole work you do around hospitals. Like, how do you, how, do hospitals contact you? Do you go and talk to them about, you know, looking at changing? Because I've seen, you know, you've had hospitals go and start growing gardens on their roofs and things like that to start implementing more healthy plants into their patients lives how does that work yes you know i've always tried to just flow to places where people are interested Um, Hmm. and you know when we started our organization one of the um, kind of core values is that we didn't want to always preach to the choir. We wanted to go, I especially wanted to go to places where they've never heard the message. Mm. Sometimes you're stepping into the lion's den, you know, you do a presentation for all these healthcare providers and they have a lot of questions. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it seems, it seems like so radical and, um, and, and, you know, outside the bounds of traditional medicine to actually say that you can reverse disease. Uh, but, you know, that's what I love to do because you start things that, that can really grow and you can see exponential change that way. Uh, mm. So interesting about healthcare providers, you know, one healthcare provider sees on average at the, at the low end 10,000 people and at the high end 20 to 30,000 people in their career. Wow. So if we can touch one healthcare provider, mm. you know, it has an exponential impact. If we can do 10,000 or 100,000 healthcare providers, you're in the billions of people contacted wow. uh, over the, the course of a career. So, mm. you know, I'm really excited to be able to go into these healthcare systems. 
So I have this wonderful opportunity in the month of October to go to a new healthcare system in Missouri, uh, St. Francis. And I was invited by someone that is a, um, a wonderful champion of plant-based nutrition who is an executive there and has one or two physician champions. And so I'll be going into that healthcare system, doing a large CME event and a community event to really just show them the evidence and mm. help them like expand their minds and be excited about um, the opportunity to incorporate lifestyle and plant-based nutrition as a foundation for addressing this non-communicable disease burden that really is just gutting hospitals financially. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited because I know that we're going to find a group of physicians that will get excited, just like Midland, Texas. They'll start, you know, groups meeting on a regular basis. I always encourage them to start a dinner group outside of the hospital, um, mm. you know, a potluck to bring people together and start conversations because mm. that's where things can really expand rapidly. So uh, we'll have an update on that in maybe a year and we can see where this project has gone yeah that's amazing now the other thing that i really wanted to discuss with you is food and i know you're very very passionate about food uh farming methods um regeneration of the soil and and how we're protecting our food supply and and and, the, and our soil for future generations so um that was one of the things that i found really fascinating at the um conference that we came to um so can we start talking about that and the other question we get asked a lot is should i be eating organic food and I know you're really passionate about that as well and, and that topic. So first of all, let's talk about the uh, the farming methods and, and then we can go into organic and non-organic food. Sure, absolutely. You know, as we, as we uh, as I was working through this, you know, and I've always learned to just keep asking questions. I've learned it from my children, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, why is the sky blue? So you give them an answer. Well, why is that? Why is that? They just keep asking mm. why. It's a curious question that really leads us to truth. Hmm. So as I was beginning to understand the power of the food on our plate to transform our bodies and to optimize our physiology, you start asking, well, you know, what's in the food that makes a difference? Mm -hmm. Is it the macronutrients? And you discover it's really the micronutrients that make a difference. Hmm. It's the minerals, it's the fiber content, especially the phytochemicals and the antioxidants that are in the food that really make a difference. And you begin to see research looking at total antioxidant capacity of food and the risk of disease. And the higher the antioxidant content, the lower the risk of disease. Mm -hmm. And we see evidence today that on the plant-based dietary index, um, and we see that an unhealthy plant-based diet has the equivalent risk of heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes that the omnivore, the westernized diet does. Mm. Uh, a plant-based diet is better a healthy plant-based diet is where you really see the decline in improvement mm. um, we had the research where they took uh, a group of individuals and they gave them high nutrient density plants dark colored leafy green vegetables uh, fruits etc and light colored fruits and vegetables and we they measured the high sensitivity crp the inflammatory levels mm. over two weeks and the group that was on the light colored fruits and vegetables had a slow increase in inflammation over time. The group on the dark colored fruits and vegetables had a decrease in inflammation um, over that two week period of time. Mm -hmm. So you start to look at some of this research and understanding that it's, 
you know, the, it's these micronutrients in our food that really make a difference. And then you ask, well, which foods are better? Which ones I should, should I be eating? And then your question, you know, is organic really necessary? Mm. Um, and then you ask, well, where do those nutrients come from? Which leads you back to the way that the food is grown. And, and that mm. becomes you know, Pandora's box when you open that <laughs> one, because there's a, and we'll talk briefly about that, but the way yeah. that we grow food really matters, not only in the nutritional content of our food, which is important, but in the future for the soil and the land that we're stewarding for the next generation, that's where it's really important. Mm. So first, let's just answer that question that you asked, and then we'll get into the farming. Um, do I need to eat organic? And the answer is simple. The most important thing you can do is eat whole plants, as many as you can, as many servings as you can. Um, most of the research shows that, you know, you should be eating at least 10 servings every single day. And when people are sick, one serving of animal products, one serving of ultra processed food can make a difference in the disease process. Hmm. So yes, you should just eat plants. Um, if you can't afford organic, eat conventional plants and you will get better. So that's the most important thing. I, I hmm. never want people to um, feel constrained, to feel guilty, uh, shamed or anything by the choice of the fruits and vegetables they make. Hmm. Um, just eat plants. That's the most important thing. Hmm. When you can, you can choose um, organic. And the reason to choose organic, you know, so often organic uh, is we understand it in the marketing of organic food around toxins, pesticides, herbicides. Um, and, you know, certainly minimizing our exposure to those things is better. And, you know, the research shows that you know, people on conventional diets have high levels of these toxins in their urine. And when they stop eating, the toxins go away. So um, we have toxins everywhere in our environment today. So we're never going to ex escape toxins. When they look at human fat, we have, you know, upwards of 600 different chemicals in our fat today because toxins are everywhere. They're in our lawn, they're in our food, they're in the mm. air, there's microplastics. I mean, it's, we're not mm. going to escape. So certainly, you know, limiting exposure is important. The, the reason that I choose organic is, is a couple, um, couple fold. Number one, um, if I can expose myself to more antioxidants, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it will make a difference. Mm. And the research shows that, um, uh, so actually some new research coming out of Rodale, that food grown in organic soil can have between 100 and 700 times more antioxidants than conventionally grown produce. Hmm. Um, other research has shown, you know, at least 60% improvement in the, the amount of these antioxidants and phytochemicals, which are really vital for improving our health. Um, hmm. So that's one reason. Uh, the second reason that I, I choose um, organic, especially regenerative organic, and, and um, which is a little bit different, is uh, I like to support um, when I, when I can local organic farmers and farm families. And so we shop, you know, here in Tennessee, we have a beautiful farmer's market in Franklin, Tennessee, where we go every Saturday. We have another little farm that we stop at on the way. And we just, we buy food from the people that we talk to and they tell us mm. about the soil. And, um, you know, we see their children and we love to support that kind of local agriculture. Um, but also, <clears throat> you know, even beyond that, there's a, um, 
a principle that I really um, believe we've lost in our, our culture, which is the idea of stewardship. Hmm. That we are managing something. We don't own it. We're managing something for future generations. <clears throat> and that is especially the, the earth and the land and the soil <clears throat> where food is grown. You know, I, I'm not going to be here in 60, 70 years, uh, even though I'm eating a really healthy diet. And so I'm leaving behind based on my choices and what I can do while I'm here, um, land that will be used by my children and grandchildren to grow their food. Hmm. And so when we look at some of the statistics that show we're losing topsoil at um, an uh, you know, unsustainable rate, uh, we've, you know, topsoil is, you can rebuild topsoil, but it takes a long time to rebuild. Mm. And we're losing topsoil faster than we can rebuild it. And so, mm. you know, there are some United Nations that said we only have, you know, 40 years of topsoil left at the current rate of loss. So mm. if we don't change the way that we're producing <clears throat> the billions of pounds of food, we all eat 2000 pounds of food every day. If we don't change the way that we're that we are stewarding the earth and growing our food, we're not going to have soil left for our children and grandchildren. Mm. Um, the way that we grow food affects the waterways right now in the United States here with the water, um, the, all the pesticides and herbicides wash into the Gulf of Mexico. And there's a, an area in the Gulf of Mexico, the size of New Jersey, huge, like one of our states where there's no life because the mm. pesticides and herbicides kill the ocean. Um, all fish today are full of toxins, whether they're wild caught or farm raised, because our oceans uh, are filled with toxins from the way that we grow our food, mm. um, the way that we grow our food and the types of food that we grow and the use of our land contributes to carbon emissions. Uh, it contributes to, um, uh, you know, deforestation. It contributes mm. to the loss of biodiversity. And so, you know, the way that we grow food that ends up on our plate every day really does matter. And we all can make choices when we have the opportunity to choose food that's grown in a regenerative way on organic farms where people are thinking about this and making different choices to invest in land uh, and in processes that help to regenerate soil and life. Um, and so I just see it as a privileged opportunity to invest in the future generations when I'm choosing to buy from local farmers, when I'm choosing, you know, regenerative organic food. And uh, Rodale Institute recently came up with a label called Regenerative Organic that um, helps us differentiate between large organic farms that, you know, are doing some of the right things and farms that are really investing in the future through regenerative principles. So there, you know, that's, that's another way for us to differentiate that. So yes, I can do what's good for me by getting more nutrients, but I want to think beyond myself, not just consumerism or selfishness. Mm -hmm. And I'm choosing to invest my money in uh, food that not only nourishes me, but is going to um, nourish the land that I'm giving to my future generations. Mm. And is that sustainable? I mean, I know you, you had a presentation at the conference from Rodale Institute about how they're coming up with new and uh, I guess novel ways of farming that don't need the pesticides and, and, and those kind of things, but they're also more profit, not profit, maybe profitable, but also they can produce more yield and um, you know, so 
because many people think, okay, well, we need the pesticides to sustain the population. How sustainable is it to do this regenerative farming? Yeah, no, that is the great question. And that's always the point of friction. And mm. um, I think antagonism around regenerative organic farming is people say, well, you know, we have to grow food for, you know, 10 million people. Can we mm. actually do that? And, you know, there's a there's certainly is a transition period that we need to work through when they look at yields from organic farms, and it's been done by multiple universities, the yield from an organic and a conventional farm are about the same. You know, once the soil is healthy, they will produce the same. But the mm. difference really comes in drought years. In drought years, it can be 40% more in from an organic farm because the soil holds water and sustains right. the plant. Unhealthy soil has no biomass. There's no life in the soil. Mm. And so when you encounter a drought year, the plants dry up and die. Mm. The other the other important realization is that once you have a healthy soil, your plants are healthy and they are very resistant to mm. infections, to insects. They're actually they um, develop, um, uh, you know, very uh, a great resistance, just like our bodies. You know, when we do the right thing and we get healthy, you rarely get sick mm -hmm. because your body, your immune system is strong. And the same thing for the plant, that soil is critical to the to the health of the plant. And so, yes, the yields can be equal, especially in drought years. They can be superior mm. and um, and eventually, you know, the soil becomes so healthy that the plants don't require any additional care. They just grow vibrantly alive. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and going back to that organic versus non-organic non and whether people can get better, like when, when Shamiz was going through his healing journey with ulcerative colitis, we didn't even know about organic or not. We were just so new to this. He just ate plants, you know, and then we didn't eat any organic food um, until after he healed and we started to do more research into it. So yeah, absolutely, you can, you know, you, you're going to get better if you eat the right types of food. It doesn't have to be organic. Yes, organic would be better. And if you can afford it and it's available to you, then, you know, definitely. But um, yeah, I think that's that's really fascinating. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, just eat plants, right? That's the most important thing you can take away from today. Just eat more plants. As many dark colored plants as you can possibly get on your plate, in your mouth, mm -hmm. on your fingers every single day. Now, just to finish off the meeting, Dr. Stoll, I'd like you to just share a couple of tips for people who may be thinking of starting on a plant-based diet or are wondering whether this is the right thing for them to do. What are some of the the key things that you tell your patients, you know, they come in, oh, Dr. Stoll, I've got all these issues and I, I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, just share some of those things that you would maybe discuss for a new starter. Yeah, you know, the, the most important thing, uh, it starts in our mind with a mindset. Mm. It starts with hope and belief that this is possible. It starts uh, with a mindset that is open to change and education. And mm. so I love I love uh, what you all are doing because people can hear inspirational stories and that inspires hope inside of them. They can, you know, come alongside a community of people and find support. And that's critical for, mm. you know, helping you overcome some of the challenges in old mindsets, belief systems, past failures with diets, um, challenges and friction points that are inevitable, food addiction. 
you know, you, you have to have develop a strong mindset and the strong mindset is solidified through a strong community. Mm. And that's why what you're doing is so powerful because you've created a community to inspire, to help with accountability, to hold hands, to encourage, um, to equip people. So it's, it's the mindset and the community that are essential for change. Uh, people do it without those. Mm. But eventually, they need those things to sustain the lifestyle. So you really need to develop a mindset first of hope that it's possible, uh, belief that you can do it and find a, a group of like-minded um, people in a community. Um, mm. Once you have those things, you know, today it's so much easier because at your fingertips on the internet are so many resources in your community. Mm. There are so many resources recipes, menu plans, cookbooks, mm. <clears throat> encouragement, tips and tricks, everything that you need to, to get healthy. Mm. Um, and so I, I just I always encourage people just spend time working on your mindset. And eventually, you work towards, you know, reshaping your identity. Uh, what's mm. very interesting about people, they did a, a large study looking at personalities. They measured people's personalities from age 14 to 74, so 70 years. Mm. And they found that everybody's personality is radically different over the course of a lifetime. So it just tells us that everything changes, you know, mm. and and I like to use that for people to encourage them. You know, I, I have lots of patients and people that say, well, I can't do this because I am something in their personality or their identity. Hmm. And I always encourage them like, listen, that's who you were, but your personality is different today than it was then. And it will be different, you know, five years from now. So hmm. let's just get over that. Yeah. And let's say it's possible. You know, and I was I always tell my patients, I want you to start telling yourself that I am a very healthy person. Hmm. And eventually that starts rewiring your identity of who you are. And when you start to actually believe that I'm a very healthy person, then those tricky choices that you would have to make in social settings or the, the difficult choices that you have to say no to when you're out in the community and there's unhealthy food choices become effortless because mm. you believe differently about yourself. Mm. That takes some time, but that reprogramming process can start early mm. by just saying, um, I'm a very healthy person. And the last thing I would add is um, the power of the curious question mm -hmm. inserted at just the right time. You know, mm. all of us get into these behavior cycles where we have some kind of a trigger mm. and then there's a behavior and there's mm. all kinds of things that we slip into. And the way to break that is when you start to recognize there's a trigger and then there's this behavior right in the middle, we just insert a curious question that just a question like, well, why am I thinking about doing this right now? What is this going to do for me? Just a very simple question takes less than three seconds to ask yourself, but it, get, it buys you enough time to kind of pull back and maybe make a different choice or mm. draw on some resources that you might have read recently or mm. recall some inspiration and encouragement from a friend or from you or uh, in your community, Shakul. Um, you know, just that curious question buys time and over time, by inserting that curious question, you disrupt those behavior cycles mm. and you gain freedom to make different choices. It's, it's the mm. beginning of kind of mindfulness around eating. So mm. that would be my encouragement for people today. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. And you're absolutely right. Like the amount of people that have gone through 
the program, have healed their disease and have just decided that they're going to go on a completely different path. Like they're a different person. They're not interested in doing the things that they used to do. They want to create change. They want to impact people. It's been amazing for us to see that, you know, where we just kind of give them the tools to make their make positive changes in their lives and their mood changes, their outlook on life changes. And it's, it's fascinating. And you're absolutely right. You you know, you, you are never going to be the same person from the day you, you know, you start to realize a little bit about who you are to, to the, to the, to the last days of your life. It's never going to be the same thing. So many different things that shape our lives, but um, yeah, wonderful, um, wonderful information there. Thank you so much. Um, I think we're, almost out of time so i think we'll end it there uh but i'd like to really thank you so much for sharing and uh for everyone who's listening watching check out the work that dr stoll is doing at the plantation project and his uh other projects as well all the details will be in the description down there below um yeah so thank you so much dr stoll and um really lovely to see you again yeah lovely to see you too and thanks so much for the invitation it's been great and uh, I really appreciate Shakur and wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Now, for everyone who's watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the podcast, please make sure you try and share this with as many people as possible so we can get this message out to the world and uh, get people thinking differently about their health and, and how, you know, sharing this message with their doctors too. You know, if, you, if you're seeing a doctor, they're not supportive or they don't know enough about the information and as dr stoll said they're doing their best with the information they know so let's get them more information so when they know more they can do better um you know teach them about share with them the resources about the plant project get them to go to one of these conferences because they're life-changing and and the information is so valuable uh for those of you watching on youtube please subscribe to the channel hit that little bell notification icon so you get updates on all our recent uploads uh, if you enjoyed the video, please give it a like. And there's a comment section down there. So if you have any questions, please ask away. And until next time, make sure you eat plants and lots of them. Take care.